0: Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. I wonder if you have ever really set your hope on something and been disappointed. Have you ever set your hope on something and been disappointed? You know, I kind of thought this year was going to be the Steelers year. (laughs) I'm already disappointed. Uh, I don't really even watch the games anymore. Um, You know, or or let me give you one that everybody has had the experience of. Have you ever gone to a store, and you pull into the parking lot, and you're headed towards the front, you see the spot, right? It's up close, so you're cruising along, you're like, I'm going to get the front row spot. And when you get up there, it's the cart return. Have you had that experience? Like your hopes were up, I was getting the good spot, or it's like a real short car, right? And so you don't actually get the good spot. And if you do that a few times, it sort of like scares you away from hoping for a close parking spot, right? You see something up front and you're like, I'm sure it's like the, you know, the, the new mother spot or it's the, uh, you know, it's the cart return, so I'm just not even gonna try. And so sort of hope gets dashed. Have you had that experience? My friend Art is a Cleveland Browns fan. Um, and it's really funny because the, every season that begins, uh, my friend Art is always sort of excited. This is the year the Browns are going to do well. And then about halftime of the first game, his hope has been dashed and the Browns are down by three or four touchdowns. Okay. So, so much has this sort of spoiled his ability to hope. That this, I talked to him Tuesday night and, you know, this year Cleveland's 3-1. and one. I don't know, I mean, you guys have stopped keeping track of that thing, I know. Um, but Cleveland is 3-1 and one and I said, are you excited? He goes, well, there's a lot of games left, <laughs> right? Like the, the, the hope is sort of like tempered, it's, it's sort of dashed. And I think we could all identify with a feeling of lost and dashed hope, right? Can you, can you identify with that a little bit? There's an author by the name of Jim Collins. Anybody ever heard of Jim Collins? He writes business books. Some of you might know him. Uh, But one of the books that he wrote was called Good to Great, and in this book, he interviewed a guy uh, by the name of Jim Stockdale. How many of you recognize that name? Any of you remember the 1992 presidential election? Ross Perot. Thank you. Thank you, Carl. Thank you. Um, But Jim Stockdale ran as the vice presidential candidate with with, uh, uh, Ross Perot, and but in his earlier life, he was the highest-ranking military officer who was uh, captured in the Vietnam War. And so he spent lots of time in this prison camp that became known as the Hanoi Hilton. Anybody familiar with that word? Nobody's familiar with anything. Okay, great. Uh, but So Jim Collins interviews this guy in, in his book, and, and, uh, and basically when he was captured... He was captured for eight years, no hope he was ever going to get out. He was tortured more than 20 times, had his legs broken, all kinds of stuff. Uh, At one point, he knew that they were going to video him as a high-ranking officer for propaganda video, so he used a razor blade to disfigure his face so that nobody would be able to identify him, basically to keep keep, uh, survival. And, And so Jim Collins interviews him, and he recounts in his book this exchange about how Uh, he would keep hope alive, that he would finally one day make it out. And I just want to read this to you. There's no way to explain this. Here's what he said. He said, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never doubted not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the defining event of my life, which in retrospect, I would not trade. And so Jim Collins followed up with this question. He said, well, who didn't make it out? His response, that's easy, the optimists. The optimists? I don't understand. He said, the optimists, they were the ones who said, we're going to be out by Christmas. And Christmas would come and Christmas would go. Then they'd say, we're going to be out by Easter. And Easter would come and Easter would go. And then Thanksgiving and then Christmas again. And they died of a broken heart. And then they had a long pause and he said this. This is a very important lesson. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end which you can never afford to lose with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. I think this highlights a question for all of us. If we're followers of Jesus, we're supposed to be people of hope, right? We're supposed to be people uh, who, who exhibit hope in the world, and yet all of us can identify with disappointed hopes, And so the question that I think comes up, you know, we could turn to cynicism and we can become cynical people or unbridled optimism. As followers of Jesus, how can we be people of hope in the midst of all the disappointments that we face? How can we be people of hope in the midst of all the disappointments that we face? We began this series a couple of weeks ago called Welcome to the Vineyard, which is based on, if you guys had these, if you got this invite card... There's three slogans in the invite card, and, and we just built this series around those. And so, in the first week, I talked about this, this uh, idea as the vineyard as a place to belong. And then last week, I don't know if you listened to it. How many of you guys were here last week? Didn't Jerry just do a great job? Great job about a purpose for your life. I listened to it on the podcast. By the way, there is a podcast if you missed any of them. This week, I'm going to finish the series, and I'm calling this talk Hope for Your Future. Hope for your future. Can we pray? And then we're going to turn to Scripture. So Holy Spirit, we do welcome you into this place. And God, as we look into your word, God, I pray that you would speak. God, that something from eternity would be deposited into us today. Would you fill me with your presence? Fill me with your presence, God. Enable me to convey kingdom hope. And God, I pray that we would be a people of hope. Put power on this message in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there's several here. If you're not sure where 1 Peter is, it's like at the end. This is, this is the ratio, okay? There's like just a few at the very back end. It holds on. 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, and while you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of context. 1 Peter is a book, it's a letter written by the apostle, Jesus' disciple, Peter. You know, the guy walks on water, the crazy guy. Uh, so, And he's writing this letter to Christians who have been scattered all across what is now present-day Turkey. So if you're familiar with any sort of Middle East map, think of Turkey. And he's writing a letter to encourage Christians who are facing persecution uh, all over the place. You know, they're being... Uh, persecuted, they're being being mistreated. And Peter is reminding them of how to face disappointment, how to face trials with the hope that they have. And so we're going to read this, and and I'm going to begin in verse uh, verse 3 of chapter 1, and here's what we read. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope, this idea of hope. A lot of us use the word hope in place of the word wish, right? You use the word hope in place of the word wish. Let me give you an example. You're getting ready to go with your family to a a picnic in the park, and you get all your stuff together, and you pack into the car, and you look out, and it's dark, and it's overcast, and you say, I hope it doesn't rain, And what you mean is, it looks like it's about to rain, and I really wish it wasn't going to rain on our picnic, right? We use this word hope in place of the word wish, but the Bible doesn't use the word hope that way. In fact, the Bible uses the word uh, to, to convey some sense of expectation. The Greek word in the New Testament is elpis, and it's an expectation of something that is going to happen. And specifically in the New Testament, the word hope refers to one thing. It's it's a certain hope that we are, in this message, I'm going to refer to as the Christian hope. All through the New Testament, the hope that is referred to is the same thing. And so maybe you're saying, well, what is the Christian hope then? And I think if we surveyed the crowd, which we won't do, I bet we would come up with a lot of different ideas. Some of us would say, well, the Christian hope is that I'm saved from my sins. Some would say, well, the Christian hope is that I go to heaven when I die. The Christian hope is that I'm spared from hell, right? There's all kinds of ideas. But let's look at this passage and see what the Christian hope is, because it's not just referred to that way here. It's referred to this way all through the New Testament. It's a consistent drumbeat. Look again at verse 3. It says, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Peter says that the Christian has been reborn. The Christian has been born again, not because they were worthy. It's not because, you know, Jesus just looked at you and said, man, you look really worthy. I choose you. You know, you got your hair nice, got this nice pink shirt. You're worthy. What it says is that the Christian is reborn by the mercy of God. It's God giving you something you don't deserve. That's what mercy is. And so this new birth births us into two different things, is what this passage says, two different things. Let me highlight what they are. The first thing that we're reborn into is what Peter calls a living hope. Anybody know what that means? A living hope. And he finishes the statement, and so what becomes evident is that the first thing that we're reborn into is a hope of resurrection. That's the first thing that we're born into, is is this hope of resurrection. All through the New Testament, what gets championed is the resurrection of Jesus. There are lots of places where the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus are held together, but more often in the New Testament, what gets championed is the resurrection of Jesus. It's actually the resurrection of Jesus that gives the death of Jesus any significance. If Jesus died for our sins but he never rose again, we never would have known about it because it's later that he explains what happened. And so it's the resurrection of Jesus that gives all of its significance. It's not till he's raised that the disciples actually have all this boldness to go tell the world about Jesus. Why? Because it was the resurrection of Jesus that taught the disciples that death is no longer the end. If you're terrified to go talk about Jesus because people might kill you, when you recognize that death is no longer the end, you get really, really bold. That's the the whole point. If you look at Paul, puts it this way. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die so in Christ all will be made alive but in each in turn Christ the first fruits then when he comes those who belong to him what they saw in the resurrection of Jesus was this long awaited resurrection has begun Jesus is the first one and because we are in him we too will be raised That's the first hope. You know, I don't know if you've paid attention to this, but the great equalizer in all hope is death, isn't it? If you talk to all kinds of people, at some level, if you drill all the way to the bottom, what you find is that people are afraid of death. And so all hope has to be summed up before people die, right? Let me give you an example. You hear people talk about this. 2007, there was a movie. Maybe you guys have seen it. It starred uh, Morgan Freeman and Jack Nicholson. Some of you already know what it is. You've seen this movie, The Bucket List. Have you seen this movie? So there was this movie, The Bucket List, and the whole, these guys, they, they make this long list of things that have to get done before they kick the bucket. That's the name of the list, right? And so all of these things, we have to accomplish them before we die. Well, people all over the place latched onto this idea, right? I hear it from Christians all the time. We latch onto this idea that all hope has to be summed up before we die. People have to have their bucket list But what it reveals, even in Christians, is that we believe death is the end. But that's not the biblical hope. That's not the Christian hope. What sets the Christian apart is that there's no longer a fear of death. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we who put our lives in his hands experience death as just one marker along an eternity of relationship with our Father. We no longer fear death. In fact, all of our hope at some point will come to pass. It's the person who has no faith in Jesus who doesn't understand the Christian hope who says, well, I got to get it all now because once I die, that's the end. If you understand the Christian hope, in fact, there's a really good book I would recommend to you. Uh, I know a number of you have read it uh, by N.T. Wright called Surprised by Hope. It's a great book. It explains this in great depth if you want to read more about it. But for the Christian, we have a perspective that says death is not the end, that that's not the conclusion of everything. So the first thing that we're reborn into is this expectation of resurrection. The second thing that Peter says that we're reborn into is uh, what Peter calls an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. I like the NRSV translation on this a little bit better. Here's what it says. It says, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading it's a little bit clearer, I think. What Peter's talking about is this life in the kingdom when all things are made new. All of us live through these like sort of disappointments, right? And we, we have hope that's disappointed, and yet life in the kingdom is not a disappointment of hope. And so we have this hope of resurrection, but we also have, have this hope of life. And it's not just this disembodied off in the clouds sort of playing harps, right? You guys have that? Anybody have angels with harps, you know, that whole idea? That's not what he's talking about. It's a body, a bodily existence that's not spoiled by sinfulness or disappointment. It's a different kind of life. You know, we've been so battered by disappointment of hope that it seems silly sometimes even to hope, doesn't it? does it doesn't seem a little bit silly at times to hope? You know, we become uh, cynical or pessimistic, right? Well, like... How many of you have gone to work and you had this expectation that you were going to get the promotion or you were going to get, you know, the raise and then the raise came and you're like, why didn't I get the raise? And so you just get cynical and you just chalk it up to like, there's no reason to ever hope for anything. Or maybe you have family members that are just, you have broken and fractured family and you have relationships between family members that are just not as they should be or between friends that are just not as they should be. And so you're like, I have hope that these relationships will come back together, and yet when you get in the same room, it doesn't work out the way that you hoped. And so you just get real cynical, and you're like, I I should have never hoped that this would ever change. I should have never hoped. It's real easy to get disappointed, to get cynical, to get pessimistic, but the life that Peter says is our inheritance is one where hope is not disappointed, where we don't have to be ashamed to hope. That's part of the Christian hope. We who follow Jesus don't give up hope or become cynical because we know that even if hope is frustrated for a time, there will come a day where hope is no longer frustrated, where hope is no longer disappointed, where all things will be made new. This is the Christian hope. It's a little bit different than sometimes what we talk about. But biblically speaking through the New Testament, this is the hope that all of the New Testament writers point to. So the Christian hope is resurrection and eternal life. We don't fear death because we know that we'll be resurrected and we know that life in the kingdom will be one that's not spoiled by disappointment and sinfulness. So all of this comes because we are born again by faith in Jesus. That's the base level. But you might ask, well, what does that have to do with my life now? You know, I got bills to pay, rent's coming due, my credit card's maxed out. You know, people are looking for me. I've got all these broken relationships. Yeah, yeah, Derek, that sounds like pie in the sky when you die, right? Great, you know, after my, my afterlife is okay. My afterlife is fine, whatever. Does the Christian hope have any impact on my life now? I have found, I don't know if you guys have, have done this, those of you who share your faith with people on a regular basis, have you noticed that if you talk about the Christian hope Just at surface level, people are like, yeah, so what? Do something about the things that I'm dealing with today. Here's the thing. Every belief that you hold shapes how you do life. Every belief that you hold shapes how you do life. If you're not sure or you don't exactly believe that, just think about how all the beliefs around COVID, vaccines, and masks have shaped out. I've been having conversations with pastors left and right. One pastor told me, you know, I had people leave the church because somebody else wanted to wear a mask, and I let them. You, look, you go, well, hold on a minute, right? So beliefs, the things that we believe about masks, vaccines, and COVID, COVID shape how we do life. If you don't want that controversial uh, of, a, of a, an illustration, how about this? All of you are, I would, I would hope, most of you believe in gravity, Right? Any, I don't know if I can assume that now, right? It's 2021, social media has gone crazy. I, I, does anybody not believe in gravity? <laughs> Your belief in gravity shapes how you do life if there's a fall to be had, right? You stay away from the ledge because gravity works whenever you go over the ledge, right? Your belief shapes how you do life. So what does the Christian hope produce? If we have a belief in the Christian hope, what does that produce? Look at verse six with me. It says, in all this, you greatly rejoice. And I pushed pause right there. In all this, you greatly rejoice. That word greatly rejoice in Greek is one word. And it's the word joy with a lot of emphasis behind it. And probably a better way to say that word would be like, because of the Christian hope, you jump for joy. How many of you were jumping for joy during worship? Anybody jumping for joy? Nobody. Man, we're going to have a whole series on this, jumping for joy. What Peter is saying is that because you understand what you have in the Christian hope, your response is exuberant. Now, I bet a bunch of you are like I was. I grew up in a church where, and I won't, some of you already know, but don't spoil it for the rest of them. I grew up in a church where we are very, very concerned about reverence, right? And I think there's a place for reverence. I think it's important. God is not to be messed with. We don't play around with God. And yet the people who are closest in the Bible to God demonstrate what I think God's reverence looks like reverence God wants. I want to give you one example. Some of you know the name King David, Old Testament, right? 2 Samuel, David is is listed as a guy who is after God's own heart. And in 2 Samuel, they're ushering the ark of God into the city. At the very beginning of 2 Samuel, a guy reaches out to stabilize the ark, and because he touches the ark wrongly, he's struck dead. So God cares about how you deal with him. And yet, as you get down, I'll begin at verse 16. It says this, As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David, here's reverence, you ready? Leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. This is reverence. Skip down to verse 20. It says, When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half-naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michael, catch this, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone else from this house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. What does reverence look like? All through this, they're dancing before the Lord. So our idea of reverence and God's idea sometimes are different things. My idea of reverence when I was growing up was, you stand like this, and you sit when you're told to sit, and you stand when you're told to stand. But David's idea of reverence, and God was pleased with, was this celebration. David, the king, celebrated before the Lord. What the Christian hope should produce in you is great joy, great joy. Joy, joy that is not contained. When you worship Jesus, if you're connected to the Christian hope, it should not be possible for you to worship like this. It should not be possible for you to worship with your hands in your pockets if you understand what you have. And just, I mean, I'm not trying to call you guys out. You guys did amazing worship team. But anybody who would hope to lead God's people in worship, Let me just speak to you for a second. Your primary job is to return all of the rest of us into proximity with the Christian hope. That we would again come close to this reality that we've been born into a living hope. That we've been born again into a living hope. Worship isn't about you and me. It's about Him. It doesn't matter how I feel about it. It doesn't matter if I like the songs or I don't like the songs, if there was enough reverb or not enough reverb, if there was enough light or not enough, it doesn't matter. It's not about me. It's not about how I feel. It's not about how the songs stir me. If God, God always comes to visit us, but if he doesn't even come to visit us, he's still worthy. He is still worthy to be worshiped regardless of how you and I feel. And it's not about what he does for us. It's about who he is. Read Revelation. There's very little about us. Very little. It's all about who he is. That's worship. We would great joy. We would worship with great joy. Tim Keller said, religious people find God useful. Christians find God beautiful. Oh, that we would be a people who love the beauty of who God is. That we wouldn't be stuck on obligation and worshiping because, well, they play the songs at the beginning and what else am I going to do? But that we would find God beautiful. Do you see that? Do you find God beautiful or is he just useful? I can tell you, I don't want to be a part of a church that finds him useful. I want to be a part of a church that magnifies who he is. Don't you? Maybe you don't, I don't know. (laughs) But it's not just great joy that the Christian hope produces. It's not just an exciting, if all we're after is an exciting Sunday morning, right? Let's get everybody up and let's get super excited, right? Like, yay, Ra, let's go. It's not just about that, but look at how verse six finishes. It's, it's a, a Christian hope produces joy that is an anchor for life. It finishes like this. It says, in all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Peter is saying that even if you're faced with trials and with troubles, the Christian hope causes you to continue in joy. Why? If you, if you don't have a hope that's beyond this, if you don't have a hope for resurrection and for a life in the age to come, if you don't have that hope, if your hope is on circumstances working out the way that you need them to, you're hoping that the bills will get paid, you're hoping that all, if all of your hope is in how you feel today, you're gonna ride the wave, right? Anybody ride the wave? Today I feel great, everything's going well, tomorrow I'm destroyed. And this is where Tim Keller talks about idolatry and he says, those of us who who make today's things the ultimate things, We'll ride the wave, right? We're very happy when our idols get served. We're not so happy whenever they don't. We're destroyed. But if your hope is the Christian hope, then circumstances drive you back to God. When you find things not working the way that you intended them to work or you thought they were going to work, what it does is it doesn't make you ride the wave. You just go, God, what are you doing in this moment? This isn't even in the, the notes, but I wanted to read this to you again. It says, Uh, Verse seven says, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even through though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. The trials that you walk through in faith actually result in God giving you accolade at the end. The fact that your faith is proven, it gets you commendation from the Lord. We actually look at trials as an opportunity for our faith to be proved. We don't look at them as destructive to our faith. We look at them as an opportunity. Man, get off the notes and now you're a long way. So a Christian is someone who's learning to ask God, what are you doing? I only want to do what you're doing. In fact, that's one of the core values. Those of you who know the core values of this church is we join what God is doing. We're always asking, God, what are you doing? I don't want to do anything else, do you? I only want to do the things He's doing in the world. Everything else, you know, we can either spend all of our time asking God to bless what we're doing, or we can find what God is blessing and go do that. Don't you want to be a part of that? Join what God is doing and do what He's blessing? So the Christian hope produces joy in life that's an anchor. And the last thing, I'll close with this. The Christian hope produces evidence now of the life to come. Look at verse 8. It says, "...though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Peter says, "...because we believe in Jesus, we are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy." This is almost certainly a parallel to where Paul says, I experienced inexpressible things in, whenever he was caught up in the third heaven, right? And here's what he says. You are receiving the end result of your faith. Do you catch that? This is present tense. So here's what Peter's saying. He's saying, you are here and now receiving the thing you're hoping for. The joy you have now is not joy you created. It's tangible expression of the thing you've been hoping for. You are receiving now the end result of your faith. The life that is contained in your future hope is breaking into the present now. Do you see that? The life of the age to come has come now in those who follow Jesus. For those who believe in Jesus, there's a foretaste if Paul in Ephesians uh, 1 says this, he says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, catch this, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, a down payment, earnest money, a guarantee of the inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory those of us who follow Jesus have been given the Spirit of God. This is the down payment of what is to come. The Spirit of God produces in you the age to come now. We experience love, joy, and peace now. We experience healing now. We experience deliverance now. No, it's not fully here, but we experience some of it Now, we we experience the first fruits. A Christian is someone who brings the future age to come now. This is what a Christian is. What it means is that you bring peace into situations where everybody else is losing their minds. You walk into a room, everybody's like, I think we're all going to die of COVID. And yet you have peace. And people go, I don't know what's wrong with you. Don't you know we're all going to die? We're all going to die, every one of us. And you're like, no, I have peace. You have peace from the age to come. Maybe you're, you're in your, your classroom, you're in your, you know, your family, and, and, and everybody's just negative and they're depressed, and you show up with all this joy. And people are like, what's wrong with you? Like, I just have joy. I'm bringing the joy from the age to come into the present now. Or you find yourself in places where people are sick or they're injured, and you pray for them, you see healing now, you see the wholeness of the age to come break in now. You see people who are wrestling with, with evil oppression and, and you bring deliverance from the age to come now. People who follow Jesus bring justice into situations where injustice exists. This is what I mean. Every, about every week, how many of you guys have gotten sick of hearing me say, We want to be people who transform the spaces we inhabit by the power of the gospel. I say it every week. This is what I mean. That it's not about just coming here and engaging with God here, but that we are people in every space that we go who bring the powers of the age to come to bear in the moment. And we're in a city that needs kingdom solutions to present day problems, aren't we? Don't we need future solutions to the problems in our schools? Don't we need those in our hospitals? Doesn't your workplace need that? That's what it is to be a follower of Jesus. We're people who bring hope where hope is not. So the question I want to end with is, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? In a few minutes, you're going to walk out the door, You're going to get in your car, or I don't know, maybe you walk. Did you walk? You just walk home. You're going to go home, and you're going to have pizza. Some of you are going to hang around and have pizza. But what are you going to do with it? To be a Christian means you bring hope into situations that are hopeless. What are you going to do with it? Because here's the deal. If you're a follower of Jesus, you already have it. It's just yours to give away. And the degree to which you give it away, God gives you more of it. What are you going to do with it? Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.